Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host, Bob Schaefer, and this is Touch Em All, episode 217. We've had a great responses from Bob's early shows, and we've got a great one in store for you today. But before we get to it, I uh, first want to welcome Bob back to your show, the star of the show. Um, looking forward to having another good one today, Bob. I look forward to it. Yeah. We've got up to 19,800 subscribers now on this 4th of July week, and we're giving you a show today right before the 4th. Thought we'd give you some patriotic music there. I had a nice walk on the beach today and uh, this morning to get out there. We were talking before the weather got too hot and we got down there and you see American flags flying. You see tributes to the military flags flying. And then uh, I had to laugh because one of my coaching stops was at West Virginia University. And I'll tell you what, I've, the Mountaineer fans are insane. I don't care what sport it is, but they had American flag, the military flag, and right under the so West Virginia Mountaineer flag, somebody was flying on the beach. So they That's were great. they were phenomenal. But uh, 19,800 subscribers, make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. The rate and review allows us to battle the podcast world analytics a lot like we do in baseball. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. Hit us on Facebook, Instagram, or and Twitter. 72 countries now, grassroots to MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ. And as we get going here, we're going to talk a lot of fundamentals today. Just prepare to embrace some of the uncomfortable truths about baseball, as this program, like all of our others, has no time for comforting lies. So we're going to get you straight between the eyes on where the fundamentals of the game are. And we left last show off, Bob, with, with talking about uh, we we're going to uh, talk to the fans about bunting today. And I got flooded uh, with bunting questions for you. So I guess we got to be careful what we wish for. We love the fan engagement, but when we throw a topic out there, they respond. So um did you want to? Did you want me to lead you with the questions that they started with? I mean, start from. Yeah, right- uh, let, let me let me go over some uh, things about bunting. What I think about bunting and all that kind of stuff. And then we can get into the questions, probably. You know, first of all, you know, bunting is like a lost start. First of all, the analytics killed the idea of sacrifice bunting because they don't want to give up an out. Um, I agree with them to a certain extent early in the game, but late in the game, eighth, ninth inning, when you have the uh, winning run at first base or tying run at first and second. And the right hitter up, I think the bunt's a great play. Because if you can lay down a bunt, you put the winning run in second base in scoring position, one more base hit, you can win the game or maybe tie the game, whatever the score is, of course. But it's a it's a good it's a good play for certain hitters up there. Your best hitters aren't going to probably sacrifice no matter what the inning is or score. But certain hitters, if you can get that extra base for an out, one more base hit, you win the game. And the thing is it puts a lot of pressure on the pitcher now because you got to make a pitch. They put pressures on the infielders with the winning run on second base because they got to cover some ground and get a little deeper and so forth. And it's to me, it's a, it's a good strategy, good play. But the analytics kind of killed that. And now with the pitchers not hitting, there's going to be less bunt, there are less bunts in play or less people bunting. But I still think it's a great, it's a it's a great you know technique or it's a great strategy. And the reason sacrifice bunting and bunting itself is so difficult is because first of all. It's tough to practice it. You know, to get it better in any skill in this game, you have to practice it at game speed. But, you know, you're not going to get a pitcher on a mound throwing 
game speed to somebody practicing bunting. You probably wouldn't get a catcher who wants to catch it either because you take a foul tip and all that kind of stuff. So it's all about technique. If you use the proper technique, and there's a fear factor involved also. So if you can eliminate that fear factor by having a confidence to know you can get out of the way of a pitch, because when you get into a sacrifice bunting position, it's kind of an unnatural position as far as being a hitter. But there's two ways that the hitter has to get in position. One, he can spin in his toe, and spin on his toes in his feet. And when you spin, you know, you're, you're still in the batter's box. So you can always, as you square around, you can always pull back and slash if you spin. And the thing about spinning, if you, you put your, both your toes facing the pitcher, that opens your hips up, allows you to get the bat out front. Now, another the way a lot of guys like to do it, just to, to turn, bring your back foot up, even with your front foot, and uh, square around that way. Um, again, I, I like spinning better, but it's individual preference. Now, the thing about sacrifice bunting, the technique is that as you spin, you have to get the bat out front. And I always tell the guys, get it out front. Get your hand, your arm, your, your top hand has got to be extended, not locked, but be extended. And you got to get bat, uh, plate coverage. And what I'll to tell the guys to put out, get your hands out there, get in your box. I mean, and sometimes you're going to cheat up in the box a little bit to make the fire lines seem a little wider. Um, you know, I think when you sacrifice bunt, it's not a surprise attack. So the catcher may see you moving up a little bit, but, you know, they know you're probably going to sacrifice if the sacrifice is in order. Anyway, so what you do is uh, as a pitcher breaks from the stretch, stretch position, you square around and spin around, get the bat out in front as far as you can, and get the top of the strike zone. Your eyes and your bat should be like in the same plane. And what I always tell them, once I get in that position, I tell them, just drop the bat. If they drop the bat and you get plate coverage, you know that's the proper position to be. But if you have your, your bat and your, your eyes you know, aligned with your bat, you can see the ball hit the bat, and that's what you have to do. So you get the top of the strike zone, and you keep your left arm. You know, I'm left-handed, but, you know, your top hand, you know, straightened out, not locked, and you just catch the ball with the bat. You just like you catch, you know, you catch with your glove. You don't stab at it. You just catch it. You just absorb it, so to speak. And you, what you want to do is you want to kill it. And when you kill it, the way to kill it is to bunt the ball off the end of the bat. And that'll, that'll kill the ball very easy. You can't bunt the ball too hard off the end of the bat. But it's a skill that, again, the, the legs control the bat. As the bat's at the top of the strike zone, if the ball's lower, which it probably is, you have to bend your knees and make contact. But your knees, your legs control the bat. You don't push it with your hands or your arms. If you stab at it, you're going to foul it off. You're going to pop it up. Bad things happen. So let the let the legs control the bat. You, know, you lower your legs onto the ball and the bat. But, again, your eyes stay behind the bat. And that's why if you drop the bat down with your hands and now the bat's below your eyes and it's tough to make contact the way you're supposed to make contact. So uh, I think it's just it's just technique you practice. And, uh you know, the problem, like I said before, is tough to practice. I mean, you can have bad technique, I guess, a batting practice pitcher and still make a good bunt because, it, you know, guys throw 75, 70 miles an hour. But the best player practice is going to cage, pump the machine up to, you know, getting speed, game speed, and get the right technique and lay the ball down. Now, it depends on where the runners are. <clears throat> if there's a runner on first base, the first baseman has to hold the runner on. So the best place to bunt the ball is toward him toward first base. And again, you don't want to be real fine. You don't want to be on, on the line, maybe 10 feet off the line. 
and far enough away from the pitcher where he can't get it quick enough to throw to second base and maybe get a double play or at least to force out the lead runner. <laughs> so, excuse me. So, once you get the, once you get in proper position, you just bunt the ball, try to get off the end of the bat. That'll kill it so it doesn't go too hard. Just got to get it far enough away from the catcher where he can't catch it or jump on it and force the guy to second base. But it's proper technique is most important. And uh, like I said, it's tough to practice it in game situations, but in this cage, you can practice it pretty well. Um, and the thing is, you got to know which way you're going to bunt the ball before. You can't get up there and say, okay, the ball's inside. I'm going to bunt it here. If it's outside, I'm going to bunt it there. You have to set the angle of the bat. So you just square around and bunt it to where you want to bunt it. Now, man on second base or first and second, you got know, to rule is basically make the third baseman field the ball. The only problem with that is if you get a left-handed pitcher, and he bounced off the mound pretty well. Unless you get a bite of pitcher, it's going to be a force out of third base. Most balls that are bunted toward third aren't bunted close enough to the line, and a pitcher can get the force out of third base, which you don't want. So if you can bunt it past the pitcher, you know, that's what you want to do. And to get it past the pitcher, a lot of times you got to bunt it on the sweet spot of the bat, with propel the ball a little farther than off the end of the bat. Now, the safest way, if you're really a good bunter, is to bunt it toward first, because if the pitcher – Feels the ball going toward first base, he's not going to spin around and throw to third. But again, if you got a hard charging first baseman, who will be charging hard in that situation. And if he's left-handed, or as we saw uh, Rizzo with the Yankees do a couple weeks ago, he may be all, all the way across in front of the pitcher. So again, it depends who's out there fielding. But the thing is, you got to just get the ball down. And like I said, the safest way is toward first, but the easier way is probably to make the third baseman field the ball coming in so he can't get the force out of third base. Yeah. I and like another thing, another thing, too, you have to be aggressive. When you go after the ball, you got to be aggressive. You can't be passive. You square around, your top hand goes up almost to the label, and you kind of hold it, you cup it in your hand. You don't wrap your fingers around the bat because that's dangerous, and you don't have as good a control anyway. So it's kind of a touch more than anything else, and it's just something you have to develop. But you have to practice the proper technique. And, again, it takes a little discipline during batting practice because – People can square around and, you know, just have bad technique and still have a, you know, what looks like a good sacrifice punt. Now I've heard guys, I wrote on a bunch of notes as you're talking, and I love the point of keeping your eyes in the same plane as the bat. That's one of the biggest mistakes I see where the hitters are above the bat. And they do the same thing with fielding. That's what you see mistakes in fielding. If your eyes are on the plane of your glove and the ball, whether you're hitting or fielding, you got a much better shot at judging um, your ability to either catch or bunt or hit that ball with, with the, um, when we're, when we're talking about moving the ball first to third, now the, the nuances is that, so you're moving the ball, uh, down the first baseline or the third baseline I've heard. And, and, and I've, I've seen and heard different guys talk about the way to angle the bat. Um, do you, do you promote bottom hand acting almost like a rudder on the boat? To me, I don't like doing that. It bothers me. Or do you move your whole body? as one unit to angle the bat, angle the ball to where you want it. Well, when you put the bat out in front, you got to set the angle right then and there. And it's just a judgment. I heard some guys say, well, point it toward the first baseman if you're going to go to third, point it toward the third baseman if you're going to go to first. Well, I don't know how accurate that is, but I think you get the feel when you square around about where you got to bunt it. But you can't change the angle of the bat depending on a pitch. If it's inside, you can pull the bat back towards your body. Bunt it. Yeah, I'm a left-handed hitter, so I used to pull it back to bunt the first. But you got to get out over the plate to start with. Because if you start pecking at the ball and pushing at it, that's when you hit a foul ball and maybe a pop-up. So 
Yeah. You can have bat, uh, plate coverage when you square around, and you can always adjust to a ball, you know, inside. But if you start adjusting to a ball outside by moving your hands and your arms, bad things going to happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm skipping around here a little bit, and these are so you know how I am. Sometimes I'll ask selfish questions. This is a selfish one. I'm a switch batter, so I bat lefty and righty. I loved bunting as well. I'm a smaller guy. I, my dad used to say on a doubleheader, you better get one bunt base hit. Um, use that bunt. Lefty, right. I love to decide my angle late. So I, I love to drag and I love to push down there based on, and I would decide that late. Um, when you're teaching, and you were a lefty as well. So when you're teaching the drag bunt, um, how do you, what's your footwork like on that when there's, uh, you know, as the pitch is coming? Did you have right, a well, base hit is a little bit different? Of course. And, uh, you know, we used to practice when they managed, we practiced bunny for base hit a lot because early in the game with certain hitters up, especially first and second, I'd have them bunt for a hit because that way you're going to at least get a sacrifice and maybe get the bases loaded. And plus it's a tough play for the third baseman to react the last minute when you go bunt for it as you know, squaring away and, and sacrificing. But to me, uh, when you bunt for a hit, right-handed batter is a push bunt. <clears throat> and again, you, you square around. Or, yeah, last minute you, you spin and you get the bat out front and you got to push the ball past the pitcher and far enough, far enough away from the first baseman so we can't catch the ball and tag you out. But you got to push it past the pitcher. And the way you do that, you square around, get your hands out in front, and you walk into the pitch. You just step with your back foot into the pitch, and that propels the bat to get the ball by the, by the, first, uh, by the pitcher. A lot of guys will get up there and they'll peck at it and punch at it, and you misdirect it. And that's not the way to do it. But if you, again, get the pat at the top of the strike zone, your eyes are behind it, and then once the ball is released, you just walk into it, and you're not going to walk into the pitch. You're just going to walk toward the pitcher, but, you know, straight ahead. You just That'll propel a bat to get a ball by the, first, uh, by the pitcher in between the pitcher and the first baseman. And, uh, you know, now if you're going to drag it to third, a lot of people take a drop step with their back foot and just get the angle. Again, you got to get the bat out in front. And when you punt to third, you want to hit off the end of the bat to kill it. And I always tell the players that it's either going to be foul ball or on the line. You can't let the pitcher field it when you're bunting for a hit to third base. So if you foul it off, you foul it off. But, again, that takes practice working on it, getting the angle the way you want it. And uh, and just, uh, you know, again, watch the ball, keep the ball, keep your head behind the ball so you can see the ball hit the bat. I like that. And that's great advice, either foul ball or um, it's got to be on the line. Now, when you, you're talking about going back to the first one where you're stepping into the pitcher, are you stepping with the lead foot? So you're batting right-handed here. We're talking about the right, and we can switch to lefty. You're stepping forward with your left foot, or are you crossover stepping with your back foot? No, you're going to cross over with your back foot. And Paul Blair is the one that showed me that. Paul Blair played for us in Greensboro for a while, and then he got called to the big leagues. He was a roving instructor, and George Brown to the big leagues from Greensboro, believe it or not. But anyway... He showed me that. He said, you know, it's not that tough to do, and it's really not that dangerous. If you see the ball in the air, just walk into it. But punt it on the sweet spot so you get it by the pitcher. And uh, it just, uh, you know, it made a lot of sense. But I see guys try to push it, and they always push it. You know, they, they jab at it, and, uh, you know, they misdirect it, and it's easy out, and the pitcher feels it. But you got to get it in a little angle, in a little, little slot there where the pitcher – you hope the pitcher chases it, and gets him out of his route to first base. I mean, the defense for it is the first baseman gets in, flips it to the pitcher. But if you hit it far enough, the pitcher will chase a little bit, get out of his, his route to first, and you can beat him, beat him there. Now, left-handed, which I was, is a little different 
Now, there's all kinds of ways of doing it. A lot of people like to square where I square around, just kind of peck at it. Again, I was taught, Bud Harrelson, I was talking about bunting all the time, and Jimmy Williams. And the thing about left-handed, which I was, the drag bunt, to me, is a great play. I mean, it's a, especially against a left-handed pitcher because he's falling off the mound toward first or third base. So, again, what you do is you get in the position, you knife the bat straight down, straight down and set the angle, and then as the ball comes in, you just walk into it, cross over with your left foot, and it propels it past the pitcher, and you're on the way. Mickey Mantle, you watch some of his videos, he was the best at doing this. Mickey Mantle used to run down to first base in like three seconds or something, three, two. But he was, already on, he was on his way when he bunted the ball because he had this crossover with his back foot, and he walked into it, and it just was tremendous way he did it. And the same thing when you go to third. You do the same thing when you just angle a bat and almost like slice it toward the third base line. But the thing is, it takes practice, and the way to start it is to get in the cage, start with a bat out front on an angle, and you, you knife it down. You don't only bring the head to the bat down and bring it back up. You just go from your stance, you just knife the ball down, the bat down, so the head of the bat goes straight down, you know, into, onto the angle, you walk into it. And the, the way to practice it is to start with a bat in that position and then walk you know, walk into it so you get the feel of what it's like to make contact with the bat out front. <clears throat> and uh, now once you get you get it mastered, it's just a matter of being quick and smooth to it. In other words, you, you're in the stance, you got your hands back, and all of a sudden the pitcher, as soon as the ball is like in the air, you just come down real smooth and quick and walk into it. And, you know, I always say if the ball's above your armpit, you got to take it for a ball. And same thing with your sacrifice. You know, if the ball's not a strike, you take it. You know, walk is better than a sacrifice bunt. And in a bunting for a base hit, you don't want to bunt anything but a strike. And, uh, again, when I did that, I used to get close to the plate left-handed because then every pitch was kind of like inside a little bit and I could handle a little bit easier. But uh, it's a good technique. It takes a little while to learn it. Some people don't. You know, they're afraid or whatever. But if you, the timing of it is very important. You don't want to start too soon because then you get out front on your front foot too much. And uh, if you wait till you see the ball in the, in the air, and the best way, again, is practice on the pitch machine and uh, see the ball in the air and just walk into it. And you'll be surprised, you know, how effective it can be. Now, we used to practice that. I get a bag of balls, maybe 25, 30 balls. And I have a hitter bunt two to third. Two, two towards second baseman, how you call it, rather than saying the first. But, so you do a drag bunt and a push bunt, basically. And what we do is I leave the balls out there. And afterwards, I say, okay, how many of those balls do you think are hits? And there's a lot more hits if you drag it towards second baseman than if you push it toward third. First of all, the guys who push toward third are usually fast, so third base is playing in anyway. But, uh, again, it's like <clears throat> if you practice it with the right technique and just you know walk into it, and even like a, a right-handed pitcher, you know, walk into it to push it by the pitcher. It's very effective. And, uh, you know, I used to have, with men at second base and nobody out, if I had a hitter up that couldn't hit the ball far enough in the air to get the guy from second to third, you know, tagging up, maybe the wind's blowing in, I used to have him bunt for a hit almost any time in the game, depending on who the hitter was. But you got to get the guy to third. Your job as a hitter is advanced base runners. You get on base. And this way you can advance base runners as well as get on base yourself. So, Again, the weather has something to do with it, but if you're not that strong, you can drive a ball far enough to center field or right field to get the guy to third and tagging up, then I'd say you got a bunt for a hit. And it was very effective for us, and uh, we did a lot, And you know, but we practice it. We go out in the outfield, we practice it. You know, four guys in a group, 
you told each other and practice a technique. So it's all about technique, you eliminating the fear factor, but if you get the right technique, the fear factor will give you, you know, you got that confidence you can get out of the way to pitch if the ball comes at you because you've got the good balance. The big thing would be good balance in an athletic position. Yeah. Now you, you made reference to righties, lefties and how they fall off the mound. Um, you being a left-handed hitter and then speak specifically to the right-hand right-handed hitter because you're going to face them both. Um, talk to the audience a little bit. And I know we're, we're an audio show, not visual, but you paint the picture perfectly about the strategy because the lefties are going to fall off toward the third base side. Righties for the most part are going to fall off to the first base side. Those ones that stay in a line are the best fielders, uh, the Jim Cots of the world. But um, how do you exploit that? What, what's your mindset as a, as a batter when you're, you're facing the lefty that falls off third as opposed to the righty? Well, first of all, I was a left-handed hitter, like I said, and uh, left-handed pitchers on the mound, I was kind of a little bit more in trouble than if the right-handed pitcher. So I would drag against the left-handed pitcher more than I would against the right-handed pitcher. But again, the lefty's going that way, plus he's got to spin all the way around to cover first base. So I think you got a big advantage, you know, lefty or righty, to push the ball against the left-handed pitcher. And like you said before, the ones who are under control, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to you know, pick a spot because they can cover both sides. Now, getting back to sacrificing again, you know, lately when the guys sacrifice, uh, a lot of times a pitcher will screw up. He'll, he'll bobble a ball or maybe throw it away at first base. So even though you're, you're sacrificing yourself, basically giving yourself an out, a lot of times you end up on first base and then runners get second or third. But it's something that, again, you know the pitcher, the guys who are, you know, not very good fielders, not very athletic. Those are the guys you can bunt against because if you miss your spot, you're still going to get a chance to get a base hit. Yeah. Well, I love the strategy. I wrote the strategy down, man on second, because we did talk about that with, with one of our first shows, man on second, no outs, man on second, one out, the base running strategy. But I like that uh, with the fact with no outs, uh, using a bunt to move the guy over as opposed to relying possibly on a on a weak fly ball with a guy that either can't get it done because of side <laughs> strength or weather, as you as you mentioned uh, with that. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of flip it to the other side, if that's okay, on the defensive side of it. If bunting offense is becoming, you know, I guess extinct a little bit, then bunting defense has got to be uh, just as anemic, let's say. Um, are you okay talking about the flip side of it right now? That was some of our questions. Yeah. We had both yeah. sides. So yeah. runners, let's say you got a guy up, a, a Juan Pierre up right now, a guy who's, who's, who you know is going to put it down or a Rod Crew could put it down anytime. What's, what's your message to your defense? Nobody on. You got a guy that can bunt for a base hit. It's, it's uh, you know, he, he sees the scenario with a pitcher falling off the proper way, uh, you know, maybe a lefty falling off third buys. What's your communication? What's your alignment defensively against a Juan Pierre Rod Crew in a potential bunt for a base hit situation? Well, first of all, like we didn't talk before, but a guy like Juan Pierre or uh, Crew and those guys who bunt for base hit, it's a weapon, but also it opens up a lot of holes. You got to play shallower because – it opens up a lot of holes, and you drive the ball through it. But Juan Pierre was very good at pushing the ball. He didn't use the technique I talked about, um, but he had his own technique, which worked. And if you have your own technique that works, don't don't fool around with it. But the thing is, you got to give something to get something, whether you know whether it's a double play situation or whatever. But you get a guy like Juan Pierre, you know, it's probably going a good chance of getting a base hit if he bunts. You got to cheat and you got to take the bunt away from him. And if he hits the ball by you, he hits the ball by you. Um, there was a guy to play, I can't remember his name, but he used to bunt almost all the time when I was coaching in Kansas City. I forget who he was, but he was a great bunter. So we had a second baseman play almost like 
on the dirt, I mean, on the grass. We play, played him in like there was a guy in third, nobody out, or one out. So we play him on the grass because he really couldn't hit the ball. He was a right-hander here, but he was a great push punter. So we play in to take the bunt away, make him swing away because he had a better chance to get him out if he swung than if he bunted. So, again, you got to defend what you have to defend. And uh, But those guys who could bunt, like uh, Rod Carew, I mean, he, he could bunt the ball and put it within, you know, three-foot circle, I think. Yeah. He, could, he had a great touch. And he, but he practiced all the time. So with um... – Let's let's just move it around like we talked about with with the bunting offense. Runner on first base. What's your defensive coverage on that runner on first base bunt situation? Well, first of all, the first base has to hold the runner on, so therefore he can't charge until the pitch is delivered. And once he sees him square around, once the pitch is delivered, he can charge in. Third baseman can cheat in and then charge hard. So second baseman's got to cover first, and the way he covers first, he's got to go toward the hitter first in case the hitter slashes. And then go to first base. Shortstop covers second base. So, again, the pitcher comes straight in. He covers the area in front of home plate. Uh, third baseman's got third baseline, and the first baseman's got third ba- uh, first baseline. But, again, that's why offensively you want to bump the ball toward first base because first baseman can't charge as quickly as the third baseman can. Yeah, that makes sense. And with the with the catcher, I know from a bunt situation as an offensive bunter, we want to push it out far enough so that the catcher is not uh, involved with fielding the ball. What's the catcher's responsibilities during the Well, bunt? he's got to jump on any ball that's not bunted really hard and try to get it and get the force out a second. But defensively, you know, the thing is you want to try to get a force out, but at least you got to get one out. Yes. So if there's a good bunt, there's a good bunt, you can't get the force out, just make sure you get it out of first base. What about with the first and second situation? I know there's a, there's a few different ones. I, I saw one the other night where – they, they faked the third baseman coming in and they had him cover back so they could work the, the third base force out. Pitcher was covering third base side. And then we did talk about the Rizzo one the other day. That's what prompted this conversation, I think, an episode ago where Rizzo was already in. He was uh, even and he was covering first and third base side all by himself. Yeah. Well, with man, man of first and second, there's a few plays you can use. Some of them you don't use anymore because of the way it is. But, you know, the, the basic regular play is that uh, – the shortstop holds the guy at second base. The first baseman cheats in. Third baseman's got to hold his ground so he doesn't steal third base. And that's just a regular play. So the pitcher looks back at the shortstop. If he doesn't have a little big lead, he, he pitches. Second baseman, as he squares, goes toward first. First baseman charges hard. Hopefully he can feel the ball and get the force out of third. And the third baseman just has a hold in case he bunts it toward third, which he might. Then you got to hold so that the uh, you know, he can get the force out of first base because no one's going to be covering third base. Yeah. Now, a variation of that play that we used to use with, a, say, the time runner on first, another runner on second, is we charge the third baseman so he can get a force out of second base. So what do you do? We put that play, it's called like the, the one charge player, whatever we used to call it. And uh, so what do you do? Once the guy's squared, he charge hard and try to get the bunt, which is going to be directed toward third, to get the force out of second base with the shortstop covering second base. But the first base still comes in. Second baseman still has to cover first in case you can't get the force at second. Now, another play we used to use, if we knew he was definitely going to bunt, would be that um, where the shortstop would fake daylight. In other words, the way you call a guy in second base anytime is if the shortstop can get daylight between the runner and the base, then you get a pickoff. So what we do... And the third base coach is the runner's eyes. So the runner on second base listens to the third, third base coach. 
he's getting his lead and a coach might say, all right, all right. So you can, you know, stay on your lead or get a little bigger lead. And then once he says, careful, you better get back to where you started. But what we do is run a shortstop like a fake daylight. The pitcher looks at the shortstop. If he does get daylight, he can spin and maybe pick him off. But if he doesn't get daylight, you see charges towards second base. The third base coach will say, careful, or maybe even back. And so the runner retreats a little bit, pitcher pitches, and you got a better chance to get him a first out of third base. So it's like what we call the fake daylight play. I like that. That's good stuff. What um, – oh, go ahead. Okay, I mean, as far as the wheel play, that's where uh, you're kind of cheating. You Actually, it's a really a one-pitch play. You know the guy's going to bunt or 100% sure he's going to bunt. So what you do is uh, the th- third baseman will, will – actually, shortstop will play behind a short – I mean, yeah, shortstop will play behind a runner or, or toward his right, you know, right shoulder. Because uh, the pitcher looks back to second, he'll start creeping and he'll take off for third. And when he takes off for third, the third baseman breaks in, and the pitcher breaks once he sees he's got a good start to beat the runner to third in case he took off too. So the shortstop takes off. Second baseman, uh, I mean, third baseman, he charges hard with the idea he's going to get a force out of third base with a shortstop covering third base. So, uh, you know, a good, a good bunter in that situation, you should never bunt into a, a wheel play. In other words, once you see the wheel play, it's like death to bunt into it. Because you really know where to bunt it. So what you could do is just uh, you should take the pitch or maybe slash. which Pull your bat back and slash and try to hit a ground ball somewhere. But uh, it's a one-pitch play. It basically, you're not going to see it too often anymore in baseball because there's no more pitchers hitting. You can take advantage of a pitcher, inexperienced hitter, using that play in the past. But I don't think you'll see anybody use that wheel play anymore because you're all DHs and regular hitters. Yeah. How often are teams, and I know you're not around seeing every team, but in, in your assessment based on what you're seeing on the field, how often do you think teams are working on bunting anymore? I don't know. I don't know how much they work on anything sometimes. But, uh, you know, it's it's like a lost art. It's a lost skill. And it's been, you know, kind of like uh, kind of a waste of an out, according to the analytical people. But there is still, like I said before, there's a time and place to sacrifice bunt late in the game to get the winning run scoring position where one more base hit, you can win the game. But uh, I think, I think it was the Braves last year and the Braves are a fundamental team. I think they had one sacrifice bunt by a position player all year. I know late in the season, I looked it up and they, they had one sacrifice bunt. So, you know, some people are against it altogether, but to me, when you put pressure on a pitcher, you put pressure on the infielders, keep the ball in the infield, I think it's a pretty good play. I would think, and then with teams not working on it, I would I would assume not working on it defensively as much. I would think it would be the. I think analytics would see that as a an inefficiency in the market. That's their phrase, and uh, start working on bunting as a possibility. We had some questions about the the suicide squeeze and the safety squeeze. When, when are when are optimum times to use those two strategies? Two separate strategies, obviously. Well, a suicide squeeze is just what it says. It could be suicide, but the same token, it could you know you get a cheap run out of it. And again, when you, when the suicide squeeze is on, the bunter has to get a little more bat to use because you might have to reach outside of strike zone to get the ball down. So that's one time where you might not move up your hand, move your hands up as much on the bat, but just get out there. So you just put the ball on the ground. You want to just maybe get it a little left or right of the pitcher where the pitcher can't come straight in, throw home, but. Yeah, you know, suicide squeeze is a good play in certain situations, but you got to know a pitcher that can, you know, throw strikes. You can't do it against a guy throwing 100 miles an hour because that's not going to work too well. But, uh, you know, right situation, it's it's a good play. You know, of course, for less than two outs. But 
Well, one play a lot of teams use now is Don Zimmer play, we call it. Get runners on first and third. And the punter squares around, sacrifices. He bunts the ball toward first base. Well, as soon as the ball is on the ground, the runner on third runs home. Because if the first if the pitcher catches it, especially a right-handed pitcher, he's got to spin all the way around and throw home. And it's almost like no defense for it. And, uh, again, it's not a suicide squeeze because the runner does not leave until the ball's bunted onto the ground. But it's really an effective play for the, uh, you know, it's called, well, I don't know if it's called safety squeeze, whatever. But first and third where the first baseman's got to hold the guy on, of course. And then you just bunt it toward first base. And uh, it's a very, you know, effective play. A lot of teams use it now. Yeah, anytime because and, and as you go further down the levels, you get a lot of people using that first and third plate as a uh, straight steal, delayed steal, early steal to try to get uh, a cheap run. Um, you don't see it as much in the majors, but I do like that action. I think anytime you force teams to communicate, move, you know, be, be alert and move quickly, th- that's a good opportunity to to put a defense to a test. So I like that one. I wrote it that I wrote that down. I'm going to use that in my next tournament without a doubt. Um, you know, with, as far as the, so you, you said that's the Don Zimmer play, but that's kind of like with the safety squeeze they were talking about. If it gets down, you go, if it doesn't, you're not moving at all. Um, now this it's is like, not, a, like a contact play only bunt instead of swinging, you know I mean? You, you read the ball, once on the ground, you take off and, and it's, you know, it's probably safer than a contact play is really, but it's, uh, again, it's, it's a good play because there's really no real defense for it. What, what am I missing or what did our audience miss? I know you, you, you talked a little bit about the slash bunt too. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Um, and it, that's that's a technique that I, I don't see anybody doing anymore. Um, I used to see Brett Butler do that every now and then, really good bunter uh, back in the, the 80s. Uh, would uh, Like you said, show bunt, change the angles, and then uh, slide his hands up and then slash one in that little hole between third and short. You know, look like a line drive in the book. I'm sure. But uh, talk to talk to the slash bun a little bit. When is that used? Well, Brett Butler, I managed against him in A-ball in 1980-81. And he, he could bunt really well then, but he made a living out of bunting in the big leagues. But a slash is a great play because you square around. Now you got two infielders moving, actually three infielders moving, the first baseman, third baseman, and the second baseman, and the shortstop up middle. So you, you turn around. And the thing to do is you, as, you, as a pitcher delivers a ball, you just bring your bat straight back, keep it almost on your shoulder there, just below your shoulder, and all you want to do is make contact on the ground. You don't try to steer it anywhere, but you make contact on the ground. First of all, if you hit it to the shortstop, and the second baseman's vacating, he can't turn double play because nobody to throw to. If you hit it to the second baseman, you know, he he's like on a move all the time, so it might be through the infield. But it's really a good good play, but, again, you got to practice it. And it's not like you're trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. You're just trying to slash it and get it through the infield. Just try to hit a ground ball somewhere and take your chances. But it's an effective play especially when the infielders cheat a lot for the, for the bunt. And again, you know, against the, the wheel play, if anybody ever does it again, when they start moving, like I say, you should never bunt into the real play. You should just slash, slash it. Yeah. Now, outside, outside of the – we, we, we <clears throat> chatted a, a tiny bit. We're getting up to about 35 minutes right now. We've got some time. We wanted to talk a little bit about holding runners. But before we do, is there anything that we didn't ask or the audience didn't ask that you want to cover with bunting before we move on? I think we covered it pretty well. I mean, again, there's a lot of questions and everything, but uh, I think we kind of covered everything. But yeah. the big thing, it's just about technique. you got to have the proper technique and get your hands out front. Eyes get behind the bat where you can see the ball hit the bat. And uh, 
and don't peck at it. Just let you catch it. Then it's your glove. Your, your bat is now your glove, and you just try to catch the ball. And off the end of the bat, it's going to kill it. And uh, if it's like uh, you got to get a bite of pitcher, and you hit off the sweet spot of the bat. But you're, you're getting, the, you're catching it like it's your glove. And again, a good way to practice just do it with your top hand, and have some like soft toss to you, where you get the feel of your bat, you know, catching the ball. Yeah, well, I, lo- I love the the footwork described, the the placement on the bat described, and the biggest thing I mentioned earlier is the placement of the eyes. The eyes being on level with the bat and the ball coming in. Without that, that's the biggest mistake I see at all levels where that ball gets popped up is when the head is above the bat. They've got that. Well, like, like you said, when you start moving your hands and your arms, you got problems because you just can't see the ball proper way. And uh, but again, you got to be in an athletic position. You have to be under control, and you have to watch the ball all the way to the bat. Yep. And you're you're, you're going real, way back in the beginning, just so our audience gets the point. You move up and down with your legs, not your arms. Right. And you start at the top of the strike zone because above that it's ball and a walk is better than a bunt. <laughs> right. That's what they forget. They get that pressure of doing it. Um, you know, wanted to chat about holding runners. That was something that uh, we got a lot of questions on. I see it at the grassroots level. I see kids throw more to first base and second base than they do to the batter sometimes. And it drives me crazy because I, I honestly, well, there's no doubt they have no idea what they're looking at, what they're looking for, when to throw over. Um, and it seems to just be on a whim whenever they feel like it. So I, I thought I thought it would be good. We got some questions from the from the audience, but I thought I'd kind of let you kind of – it's just we could work on first base today and then we'll work our way around the horn next time a little deeper. But um, to just talk about the nuance of holding runners on, the mechanics of it, is there a marker? I know it's based on runner, but there's is there kind of a marker you're looking at, a body position from the runner – uh, foot angles, toe being up, heel being up, what, whatever you you would teach, to just kind of a little riff on that, the nuances of holding a runner on first base. Well, holding a runner on first base when the first base is playing behind a runner is very important. Now, like I said in, in the past, the first base coach and third base coach are the runner's eyes. The runner's watching a pitcher. So you're playing behind a runner at first base. And to me, you hold them on the same way you hold a runner on second base. You know what that is? The first baseman plays behind, gives you a little more depth, maybe keep the ball in the infield. Maybe it's not really a stealing situation, but again, you don't want to give him second base automatically. So what I say is that the first baseman plays maybe, say, 10 feet past or behind him, and he really wants to be 8 feet. So what he does, he starts creeping toward the runner. Now, the first base coach has got to say, you know, careful. He can't let him get a walking lead because here I am creeping toward the base and the runner. So if you creep toward the runner, you're going to lock him in right there because the first base coach, again, if he's a decent first base coach, he's going to say, careful. So now what happens, you know, with a right-handed pitcher, it's tougher, but sometimes you can have a signal that, you know, I'm going to walk in and all of a sudden you know, I'm going to dart to the base. You can pick him off. But it's a, it's a little more uh, not as safe with a right-handed pitcher. There's a little more problems, but you just want to lock him in. You want to keep him getting a walking lead and a real big lead. Now, with a left-handed pitcher, you can walk in. And a lot of times you play behind a guy three and two, two outs. And we had a play when I was managing. You get a left-handed pitcher. The first baseman was saying, playing behind. So you cross his arms like that, behind, and a point at him. So that means the play is on. So what happens is third base, first baseman playing behind a runner. Gives him the sign. As soon as the pitcher lifts his right leg, first baseman heads to the base. And the pitcher throws over there. It's, they're least suspecting a pickoff. In that situation, when it goes to 3-2, two, 
number three, one count or whatever. So again, the first base coach, you're picking him off more so than you're picking a runner off. So if he doesn't say anything, he's in trouble. But again, we had a certain pitcher and a certain first baseman. They worked it very well, and we picked a lot of guys off in that 3-2 situation with two outs. Now, you know, just when he's holding a guy on, with you know, first baseman holding a guy on, there's no real magic in that. It's just a matter of, you know, the new rules now you can only throw twice, and the third time if you don't pick him off as a balk. Now the new rules have eliminated a lot of stupid pickoff throws. I mean, I remember seeing guys in the past throw over there, guy in a stolen base in 10 years, and they're still trying to throw over there and hold him close. And all you're doing is killing the game and slowing the game down. But again, I think, you know, the pitchers that, for a base runner, the pitcher that has quick feet and a short arm action, you got to take a little less of a lead because they're quick over there. The pitcher has a long arm action to first base, you can get a little longer because it's going to take a while to get the ball to first base. So, you know, holding the runners on the same uh, as second base is probably more important than first base because first base doesn't happen that often. But at second base, I can't stand it when I see the second baseman at shortstop standing like two feet from second base, trying to hold a runner on, and all of a sudden retreats while the pitcher still holds the ball. Now, again, a good third base coach. Sometimes you can't hear it in the uh, in the major leagues, but he's again the, the runner's eyes. He'll say, "All right, careful at back." So as you got your normal lead at second base, you're going to say, all right, all right, all right. Now, if, this, if the uh, if you know, steal is on, if I say, all right, all right, I want my runner you know, get a little walk and lead. And the faster I say, all right, the faster you can walk. Now, if I say careful, you got to get back to where you originally started so you can't get picked off. So second base runner gets his, light, gets his lead, which is two steps in a dive, basically. I say, all right, that steals on. All right, all right, all right. He gets a walk and lead. And if I say careful, you get back to that two-step and a dive distance. Now, the thing is, they're not going to pick that up because even with not the seal not on, you still say, all right, all right, all right, which lets them know that you're safe. So now what happens when you get the uh, defensive player, shortstop or second baseman, if they stand right near the base and they retreat, which a lot of them do, now the third base coach, as he sees him retreating, he said, all right, all right, all right. And you can steal third base very easily. But the, the way to hold the run around properly is for the shortstop or third baseman, get a little deeper than they want to be, where they want to play the hitter. Now, as the pitcher goes to the stretch, he looks, he's creeping toward the hitter. I mean, toward the runner. He's creeping in toward the runner. So now the third base coach, he's got to lock the guy in. He's got to stay careful because he doesn't know if he's going to dart to the base for a pickoff play or if he's going to stay right there. So as I'm at the shortstop, I'm creeping in, and I see the runner stopped. They're just locked in there, not taking a walking lead, not getting a big lead. If I see him staying there, I just wave my right hand, just flip my right hand. That means go pitch. So, again, if if we can pick him off, I'll flash my glove and get daylight, and he can spin around and hopefully we can pick him off. Now, the second baseman, same thing. If he's got he's in charge of holding the runner on, as he walks toward the runner, He's looking, the pitcher's looking at him, and if there's not going to be a pickoff, he'll just flash his hand and go. Now, if he's going to pick him off, he'll flash his bare hand and go go to the base, and maybe you can pick him off. But if you use that technique where you play a little deeper and start creeping toward the runner, you're not going to get too many runners stealing third. To me, if a runner steals third, to me, it's the infielder's fault. And we used to practice that all the time. Every pitcher get out there, you know, almost one pitcher at a time. Just I don't like this long line of, long line of pitchers, you know, on PFBs, just – Get two, maybe three pitches at a time. Get your infielders out there and just practice that. And it, it tell you what, 
like I said, if the guy steals, the runner steals third base, it's because the second baseman shortstop didn't do it properly or the pitcher didn't pay attention to what was going on. But it's a, almost a foolproof way of keeping guys from stealing third base. I like that. And when, because yeah, you see it a lot of times. You, you, the infielder is hung out to dry a little bit because the pitcher will throw as they're creeping to the bag. The timing is off and it. it should be a dance. When, yeah. when, when is this the shortstop's responsibility? When is it the second baseman's responsibility? Well, it depends on the hitter. It depends on the pitcher to a certain extent. I mean, a left-handed hitter, usually the shortstop's going to cover or hold him on. But then again, it varies. I mean, it depends, you know, what kind of hitter he is and so forth. But somebody has to have, you know, has to do it, especially with one out. One out's the worst time you let a guy steal third base. You know, no outs, most of the time they won't go. Two outs, they w- wouldn't go unless you give it to them very easily. And uh, again, I think that there's nothing wrong with it. the pitcher, the shortstop or second base, when you give it a flash sign to the pitcher to go pitch. And uh, again, you have to, you know, the pitcher, he's got, when he gets on the mound and when he looks back, then he decides what's going to happen. Now, the pickoff is another, there's a time play. And a lot of times the shortstop will walk in and, you know, we got the pickoff on, we already gave the sign. You walk in, pitcher will look at him, then he'll back off, pitcher will look home, then he'll turn around and sprint to second base. So as soon as the pitcher turns toward the home, home plate to look at home, he's going to, you know, he's going to back off and then, He's going to I count of two or three. He's going to break toward the base. And so now he looks back. Runner thinks he can take a bigger lead, and you will pick him off. And same thing, basically, with a second baseman. But, you know, pickoff plays, to me, holding runners are more important than pickoff plays. Because a lot of times, pickoff plays, something goes wrong. They throw the ball in the center field, or the timing is off, and so forth. And now with new rules, you only throw twice to a base. Um, you're not going to see that many pickoff plays, especially at second base. Yeah. So with the, and I like it, you play deep, you creep, that gets the attention of the base coach, who's the eyes. And then the, the flash of the hand determines, you know, that communication throw home or uh, daylight, I'm coming back either, you know, I get, it's the, uh, it's the bag side hand. So shortstop would be the glove. The second baseman would be the, the bare hand. And that right. case. Um, as far as nuances that we're creeping up on 45 minutes, this has been phenomenal today. As far as the, the, when you're looking at the runner from, uh, whether you're the pitcher, infielder, coach, catcher, are there certain things you're looking at the runner? That'll be a dead giveaway that this guy is prime time to get picked off slow to get back to the bag, you know, open toe with his lead foot, um, too big a lead. What, what are things that you would look at? Well, a lot of runners will lean. They'll give it away to lean. Some guys will take a little bigger lead when they're going to steal. Those are things you watch. I mean, I just saw a A-ball team that stole a zillion bases. They stole six, seven a night. And every one of the guys that stole were leaning, was leaning towards second base from first base, or else they're taking a walk and lead. And the pitchers never read it. I haven't seen a pitch out yet. And uh, But these guys got some athletes, and they can steal. I think one guy has like 40-something stolen bases already, maybe more. And other guys has almost that many. But but they're aggressive, and they, they're, they're confident in the fact that they can steal. And the big thing about stealing a base, getting back there, is you got to be able to know how to slide. I mean, sliding is a worse skill in this game than uh, than bunting, really. I mean, the guys are diving or sliding past the base and stuff like that. But anyway, that's for another day, I guess, sliding. But Next week. I think, yeah, runners, runners will give themselves away. And uh, that's where good infielders and good pitchers, good catchers will kind of read that and uh, counteract it. So one of the things was leaning. Yeah, I um... – is there a certain distance? Uh, you know, you know what? Talk about the walking lead quick, and then we'll, we'll wrap up today. What is what's the walking lead you're talking about? Because again, that's that's another giveaway, and that's 
I think that's important for people to understand. Yeah, well, walking lead is where you take your lead late. You, you, you know, you almost pretend like, you know, oh, yeah, I got to take a lead. We take a lead, but you start walking, and if the pitcher doesn't stop you, you just keep going. And the best way to steal third is to get a walking lead, and then you can keep going. But those are the pitchers that have one look. You know, a lot of pitchers take one look and pitch. You get a good walking lead against them. Probably the best defense for a pitcher against guys stealing third is no look because he can't time it. A lot of times, you know, pitcher come to a stretch, look at second base, the runner's there, and all of a sudden you look back home and, and pause a little bit or go maybe two two looks or whatever. But if the pitcher comes up and just looks home, the runner doesn't know when to time it. And that's if you can't do it all the time. But if you do it once in a while, it just shows the hitter that runner's timing off as far as stealing a base. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of ways that you can defend against a steal. Uh, I know Ricky Henderson, we played against him. Ricky would always get that walking lead. You know, he'd put the right foot up, put it down, right foot up, put it down. It kind of like – be in, in motion. If he held the ball, then he locked. He, he had to put his foot down, and he stayed there, and he couldn't get a good good jump. But if you don't hold the ball against him, he will. You know, he'll. You know, he'll take off. I mean, you know, they all say that holding a runner is like you know pitching a runner. You got to upset his timing. And they're all the good base runners. They all get that little timing where they get that walking leader, that little momentum going toward the next base. Yeah. I always thought third base was easier for me to steal than second base because of that one factor, the walking lead. Um, you get that, that object, it's simple physics, right? An object in motion will stay in motion. You don't have to get right. started again. But, uh, and that's where, again, that's where the third base coach is a guy that can help you steal. So, I mean, that's where shortstop second baseman, if you get back and start creeping toward the runner, third base coach can't give you like that. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Cause he knows you might be picking them off. Yeah. No, I like this. This is going to educate a lot of coaches out there at all levels. And hopefully, you know, it's funny as Major League Baseball, I know they made their adjustments to the size of the bag, the number of looks, which has increased, you know, base stealing uh, because they gimmicked it. Uh, but at one point in time, base stealing was seen just like bunting was. It was given away and out, basically, and it wasn't promoted. So I like yeah. to see them go back to regular bags and uh, no gimmicks with looks and let the game be played as the game should be played. But uh at least they're starting to people are starting to develop the skill again with stealing bases. Well, some of these younger teams, you know, get more athletic players and they can steal a lot of bases. I know Cincinnati and uh, the teams that come out of nowhere are stealing more bases and creating creating more runs. And you know, of course, uh, Tampa Bay is one of the best. I mean, they play defense, they play, you know, they hit home runs and they steal bases. I mean, that's a pretty good combination as well oh, as yeah. they can pitch. <laughs> but I mean, get getting be more athletic is what it's all about, and that's where. Some of these rules, like the rule of second base, where you can't take the, the uh, infielder out, that's taking the skill away from playing second base. I mean, it used to be some skill. I played short and played a little bit second, but the skill of playing second base is you make the pivot, get rid of the ball quick, and get up in the air. You're going to get knocked down, but if you're up in the air and when you get hit, you're not going to get hurt. Oh, yeah. But they've had guys play second base that were third basemen or maybe even outfielders because they couldn't hit them. I mean, they yeah. just go there, they plant their right foot, and they throw off the back foot, and you know they get hit, or they can't get hit, so they can't get hurt. But you take a lot of skill away, even at home plate. I mean, not this, this rule with the catchers and everything. I mean, I think it's, nobody knows what the rule is, and it's, it's, it's stupid. But uh, I just think that, uh, you know, because Posey got hurt, they changed the rules. Yeah. He didn't defend himself, but he should have defended himself. I mean, it, it, actually, the runner didn't do anything wrong. Now, the runner, when Tejada got hurt at second base, he was way out of baseline. And, uh, you know, he, he should have been called out anyway. But the guy broke his leg, so now we got to change the rules. But it's they tend to overreact. Stuff. They tend yeah, to overreact. 
It's, right. uh, I was a second baseman. I, I took great pride in practice in my pivots every day and different ways to clear the bag, different ways to get up, different right. angles of the ball. And I was, uh, you know, I, I, I blame the shift for that. When I started over, overdoing the shift, the nuance and the intelligence and the skill set of playing second base got pushed aside. And as you said, they put, they almost put the sluggers there, the softball guys, the big guys they put there because they didn't have to be strategic with the spotting. It was almost like a fourth outfield. One thing about the game today, it's a lot better than it was because you can't overshift. So I've seen more ground ball double plays made this year than I think I've seen the last two years put together. Yeah. And well, I think again, the skills are back to that middle. Yeah, right. And it's it's a skill to make a double play. I mean, like I said, I played short most of the time, a little bit of second, but it's a skill, but you practice it. I mean, I, when I played, I had a quick release, so I could get up in the air quick after getting, letting rid of, you know, getting rid of the ball. So I wasn't on the ground that long to get hurt. Yep. No, I do it. Well, Bob, it's a great show again today. I, I wrote down sliding. We're going to hit on that next. Uh, so audience, uh, we're going to hit on sliding. We'll hit a number of different topics. I'd love to hit some cutoffs too. I think that's something that our, our uh, audience could benefit from. But thank you again for a great show today. Episode 217, Touch Them All with Bob Schaefer. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I want to thank our subscribers, 19,800 to date. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We can keep giving you great content. On this show, touch them all like we do every week right now. And Bob, thanks so much. Have a great Independence Day tomorrow. And if you get on you get on social media, I put that flag up there this morning when I was walking on the beach, the American flag, the flag <laughs> celebrating our military branches, and then the West Virginia Mountaineer flag. Couldn't, couldn't resist on that one right there. So well, good for you, and it's good to talk to you again. And I uh, hope everyone else has a happy Fourth of July and there'll be a lot of picnics. Absolutely. Hang on with me here, and we'll be signing off here. Our audience, have a great Fourth.